Welcome to This Week in Ringer Sports. I'm Liz Kelly bringing you the highlights from the Ringer Podcast Network. We also put up a lot of good stuff on the website this week. Bill wrote about the winners of the NBA season so far. Titus brought back the college basketball power rankings. And Danny Kelly talks about the five most essential players in the NFL. Those are just to name a few, so there's tons of other good stuff. Be sure to check it out on TheRinger.com. All right, first up. While early MVP discussions bound, Juliet and Gonzo of NBA Heat Check introduced a new award, calling it the Draymond Green Award for the most essential player. They'll discuss a few candidates, including a favorite around here in the Ringer office, Kristaps Przingis. I think we need like a new category in the NBA of not like the MVP, like the staffs, the LeBrons, maybe the Giannis's, but like the most essential player. The most essential to their, to what their team does. Like it's the Draymond Green Award basically because Draymond is not, is not Steph or KD, Mm -hmm. but as we saw in 2016 and um, in some earlier games this season, Draymond is the most essential to the Warriors success. Like he makes them unbeatable. Yeah. And I think that's a fun idea. Do you, do you have, cause I have a couple that I would run through here. Okay. Not to be predictable and like, I've mentioned the Portland Trailblazers, but I would throw Dame, <laughs> Dame Lillard in that mix. But also, like, look at the San Antonio Spurs. Like, they're still the Spurs, mm-hmm. right? But Kawhi takes them from being the Spurs, and they're going to be in the playoffs, and they're going to be, you know, in the mix, and they're sure. fine, to being, hey, yeah, this is a team that could potentially challenge in the West. Sure. I feel like the difference between like a Kawhi type player and a Draymond is like someone who is a paradigm shifter who won't necessarily be fully appreciated in their time, but they'll become like, an archetype. And I just feel like Kawhi is, is more like, yes, he's top five. Player. So we have to take, so it has to be like not a top five player then. Is yeah. You, okay. Kind of. That's sort of like, that's like sort of what I'm getting at. Cause like, I think with the Celtics, like is like Al Horford, like their most essential player. I mean, it's still probably Kyrie, but like without, without him, do they struggle more? Like, like, do they lose to the Raptors if they have Irving but not Horford? So this is an interesting thought experiment because then you would look at, like, a team like the Knicks and go, okay, well, like, Chris Stapps is getting a lot of love. He could potentially one, be, one yeah. day be a top-five player. He's certainly the most essential right now. Hands down. You take <laughs> yeah. Chris Stapps off that team and the all Knicks L's. are really, like, yeah, all L's. <laughs> and they have uh, five already. So uh, I just feel like there needs to be a new tier to appreciate greatness that's not, like— being like the kill shot. Like, of course, Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. Like, right. it's not fair to compare all the other players to him who are like also extremely important. It's sort of like a regular season award. I know that all awards are regular season, <laughs> but it's sort of like night in, night out. Like, who gets you to where you to like the fifth seed on your team? I you like know? this essential idea. We'll have to revisit this. Yeah. As I just the feel like, goes. I just feel like we too quickly jump into the MVP race and then there's like no room to talk about all these other like exciting players. This is one that maybe we'll throw into the mix because right now we had said previously like the Charlotte Hornets are like, a, I don't know, kind of, sort of interesting team and Kemba gets a lot of love on that team. They're about to get Nick Batum back and I think Nick Batum is a hugely underrated player. I loved him in Portland. I loved him on that team. Yeah, like I would like to see what the Hornets look like. We, Jeremy Lamb has gotten a lot of run for them. They brought Malik Monk back in, but they're going to get Nick Batum back ostensibly on Wednesday uh-huh. and he does all of those little things as a wing that you'd want. He moves the ball really well. He rebounds. He pushes the floor. Like I love Nick Batum for all those reasons, so maybe he's in that dream on this. Sure, maybe. Okay, switching gears, changing sports, we are officially past the midpoint of the NFL season, and in a bizarre turn of events, Case Keenum is leading the 7-2 Vikings to a potential NFC North title. On the NFL show this week, Kevin and Robert discussed the Vikings and a few other bizarrely good teams. 
We want to talk about a few NFC teams that are just good in some very bizarre ways. And that includes Jared Goff now being a very reasonable NFL quarterback. But it also includes the Saints and the Vikings, which I wrote about a little bit on Monday. So, Kevin, of these three kind of bizarro NFC contenders, which is the weirdest version of the team for you? Which is the with one thing where if you could have predicted before the year, this would have been the farthest from reality. Case Keenum leading a top 10 offense, Jared Goff leading the league in yards per attempt, or the Saints defense being really good and running the ball all over people? Well, I, I saw a stat that I found interesting yesterday. Mike Rodak of ESPN. Saints ran the ball in 24 consecutive plays against Buffalo. That has not happened in an NFL game since 1989. I don't know. That's amazing. I don't know what to think about the Saints because right now, I mean, if if you were to, and this red zone thing is a good example, the story I wrote on Tuesday. So if you were informed before the season that the Saints were going to be 7-2 and rolling, beating a pretty good Bills team by, what, 40 points, you would say that's the most exciting team in the league. But that's it. The Breeze is throwing the ball over the place. It's like t- 2009, 2010, 2012, all that. Breeze is throwing the ball over the place. It looks like, you know, it looks like old times. That's not what this is. And it's almost, it's impressive that, and 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 I'm not going to sit here and say that, that Breeze, you know, reinvented himself or anything, but he is averaging 40 yards a game less than he was last year. He's obviously passing the ball less. He's He's not, the, he's not uh, the entire focal point of the offense. He still is. It's not like he, he's not Peyton Manning in 2015 here. Okay. But he is, he is taking, you know, a, a reduced role in a way. And I think that that's the most stunning thing to me. If you were to tell me the Vikings were good. I mean, I, after the first couple of weeks of the season, we saw that Case Keenum was at least going to be able to get the ball to his targets. His, his two receivers, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs lead the NFL in deep receptions. And that's a testament to a Keenan, but B just those guys are freaking good. And so I, all three of these, I didn't expect, but the one I just didn't expect, just analyzing it now, is just the Saints as ground and pound. It's incredible. So right now, where do you think Drew Brees ranks in pass attempts in the NFL? Not high enough. He's tenth. There we go. And that's just bizarre. If you look at the all-time passing attempts leaderboard, like for a single season, in the top 16, he's on there one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Like, it, that's what they did. They threw it more than anyone else in the league. And to have gone so far in the other direction, and it's not like there. this happens every week. I think we touched on this a little bit on Friday's show, just that Buffalo's run defense was the worst part of what they did. And the Saints are running the ball so well. Why not run it 30 times? And they did. But just to see them be willing to embrace that approach against anyone is impressive. And the fact that it's working so well, I mean, they're really getting what they want done on the ground. And it's one thing to try to reinvent yourself on the fly. It's another to do it so well, to do it just so thoroughly and effectively. And that's what's kind of blown me out of the water. I mean, they're third in rushing DVOA right now. And that is really impressive. As far as Drew Brees' passing attempts go, Drew Brees has five of the top eight single-season passing yard marks in NFL yes. history. No one else appears twice in that in that top eight. And he's there five times. He's and you know what he's ridiculous. like? He's like one of these um like old time like lead singers of a band and everybody else just leaves the band and he just gets too much power and he gets to do whatever he wants. <laughs> 
<laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I absolutely know what you're saying. I'm trying to think of the best example of that. A guy just like that hung on and be at the front and no one else is the same. Yeah, they just they just replaced everybody. Yeah, that happens all the time. I just can't think of a good example. Uh, you're totally right. And I think that there's a chance they only get better. And like on Sunday, so you had Teron Armstead back at left tackle. Larry Warfer is back at guard. That hasn't happened for many games this season. Armstead's either been hurt or Warford's been hurt for a couple games. I mean, this offensive line, everyone I've talked to, takes about a year to understand the guys you're playing with. And they have two new starters this year. So it just feels like this is going to coalesce even more over the rest of the season. I mean, like there's a chance that the Saints only get better for the rest of the year. And the way they look right now, that's a terrifying prospect. And now here's my question. Is Sean Payton the best coach in this batch? That's a really good question. The answer to that is probably yes over the course of like the body of their body of work. But I think that what Sean McVay has done this year is more impressive. Yeah. So do I think the Vikings are going to make it to the Super Bowl this year? You know, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm holding out hope for anybody but the Patriots. And please don't tell my boss. So for most NFL fans, they're watching to cheer on their team, hopefully watch them win. But for Cousin Sal, he's looking for an edge with sports gambling. He had on RJ Bell this week on Against All Odds to debunk some gambling theories so you can get your money right. I feel like these theories over the years have have uh, panned out in the 60% range, and they're just not hitting this this year. One of them, teams flying east to west or teams flying west to east. Now, getting not, not getting enough rest, and teams on a short week playing the Monday night. So, for instance, Detroit played uh, Green Bay on Monday night. You figure one of them is going to be tired or let down, especially Green Bay is then going on the road to Chicago. No, maybe Chicago was just that bad, but Green Bay uh, covered, won the game outright. Detroit, a little bit, little bit slow start, then uh, all over uh Cleveland on a double-digit spread. Does that trend hold up? Did it ever hold up, or is it in my imagination? All right, so here's a powerful concept of the foundational stuff. Mm-hmm. A trend only matters if it's not accounted for in the spread. Okay. So let me give you an example. Imagine if I send you a Twitter DM like we communicate, and I say, Sal, I've got a best bet. Don't tell anyone about this, baby, but bet your biggest bet of the year I'm betting on the Patriots because Tom Brady's out. He hurt himself in this hypothetical world, and he's out, and you should uh, – but by the way, ESPN's reporting it, but, but you should bet against the Pats. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense, right? Because right. everyone know, knows Brady's out. Right. So they account for it, and the line gets adjusted. You know, now it would be adjusted with Hoyer, seven, eight points, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is east to west, or even more so west to east, because you have the body clock with that 1 p.m. start. You have the West Coast team, 10 a.m. on their internal body clock. That is a negative. Right. But it's a negative the market accounts for. So historically, you're right, it's a factor. But since it's accounted for, you can't really benefit from it with winners and losers. Now, in any given 10 or 12 games, it could go, you know, 10 and 2, 2 and 10. Mm-hmm. Just, and next time you're in Vegas, sit and watch a roulette wheel, and you'll be shocked the number of times there's seven reds out of nine. You yeah. know, it's just, that's just random numbers. Right. But in general, the market understands that east to west. I will, uh, and especially west to east, I will give you one thing the market doesn't fully account for, mm-hmm. which is West Coast teams playing night games. 
Hmm. It doesn't matter if it's out west or east. Their body clocks, so let's say the Monday night game's about over, right? So it's 11.30 Eastern. If you're an East Coast team, you're, it's midnight. Do you think you're performing best as an athlete at midnight for you? No. But if it's you know, 8.30 or 9 o'clock Pacific time, doesn't matter where you are, your body's telling you it's not that late, those teams tend to have an edge. And if you look back in history, West Coast teams playing East Coast teams, any venue, but if it's a night game, there's an edge for the West Coast team. Interesting. All right, I'm writing that down, and I'm going to stick with that. Now, I, I, I know what you're saying. It's like if Dave Chappelle, like these comedians, that's why comedy clubs are open late. If they're doing their stand-up at noon, they're going to be a little rusty because they're just not used to that. So next up, the World Cup doesn't start until June 2018, but Ringer FC is getting an early start, and Donnie, Ryan, and Micah propose a change. Can I make yeah. a proposal? Let's hear it. I mentioned it in Slack yesterday, but everybody ignored it. Basically, <laughs> when it gets to when it gets to the playoff round for the World Cup qualifiers, rather than doing these two-legged playoffs home and away, you just do one-off matches and you set up Wembley like uh like the first weekend of the NCAA tournament and it's just a bunch of one-offs on like a Thursday and a Friday. What do you guys think? You buying in? I'm sorry, were you talking? Fucking <laughs> 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 silence, Jesus. <laughs> ah, dick. Are you at least nodding? Uh, God damn. <laughs> my issue with that would be... Uh, I was looking at my phone, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mom called me. Uh, <laughs> you guys are watching Western McKee highlights. <laughs> I'm trying to sell you on this proposal. Uh, the field would get destroyed if they did that yeah. by like, the last game. <laughs> True. True. Oh, man. Um, we'll have mutant turf. But basically the idea is over these two legs, it you know, like all a lot of those nil-nils were first legs, and it's because mm-hmm. they're playing super cagey, don't want to concede, don't want to give an away goal, and it's boring as fuck. So yeah. make it just like a one-off, like a like a final, you know? That would be that would be kind of fun. That would be awesome. I uh I can't wait to see like what two like what countries are going to be in the playoff once we expand the World Cup. Like oh this, my god, this, it's going to be like Kazakhstan. Yeah, Kazakhstan and Canada. Like, <laughs> Canada. <laughs> um, I mean, I would I would probably watch if they did like a little side tournament um, next summer, but like it's probably not going to be that fun, and it's not you're not going to have all of the like. Things that make the World Cup fun, like the World Cup is fun because you see all of these all of these random countries, you know, melded together, and not because the soccer is actually like that awesome to watch, you know? Yeah, that's true. It's definitely has the atmosphere multiplier. Yeah, and it's... you know, so a bunch of friendlies with the U.S. and the Netherlands like would be fine. But well, also don't forget the UEFA. What is it called? The Nations League is mm-hmm. kicking off next year, so that's kind of a version of that. Yeah, and I mean, I guess we saw like the Copa Centenario was a made-up tournament, and people were kind of into it. Messi <laughs> briefly retired from the Argentinian national team because of what happened. Um, I definitely would like to see Kobe Bryant in a suit walking across grass, doing accurate pronunciations of <laughs> of uh, Dutch names. <laughs> 
Okay, moving on to college football. University of Florida and Tennessee have two of the most notable head coaching vacancies in college football right now. On Ringer University this week, Ben and Roger talk about each school and the big name coaches they've been linked to. So Tennessee is now joined Florida as two major programs that have coaching vacancies. They're always tied together. They're always tied together. Tennessee and Florida in the SEC East, in the bottom of the SEC East standings, apparently. And now both of them are looking for coaches. And like clockwork, two of the names that have been mentioned are John Gruden at Tennessee, because no college football coaching search, especially in Knoxville, would be complete without John Gruden rumors. And Chip Kelly at Florida. Could you see either of these guys? Again, these have been sort of the white whales in college football coaching searches in each of the last couple of years. Could you see either of these guys coming to Tennessee or Florida come 2018? I am an enormous goddamn wet blanket about coaching rumors. I never think that the guy that you want for your school is going to choose your school. I always think that you're being way, you're way over uh, estimating what your school is possible of and the interest of the other party. John Gruden, you know, he'll probably pick Tennessee after I say this, but John Gruden is not going to coach. He, we've been talking about this for 10 years. He makes $10 million to go on TV once a week. He said before this year, he like that he would be bad at coaching a college team, that he would get them into uh, NCAA uh, probation instantly. There's no reason to believe he would want to give up like the cushiest job any coach could ask for. Being a commentator is a better job than being a coach. If you had to pick between a, a job where you just talk about other people's decisions versus a job where you like spend all day trying to figure out how to win a football game. It's much easier to just talk about it than, than it is. I, I know. Look, we're talking about it right now. We are. I don't disagree with you, Roger, but I want to tell you that as of the time that we're recording this podcast on Tuesday, according to Vegas, John Gruden is the odds on favorite. No, I, plus 180, plus 180. He's the favorite followed by Mike Norvell, Chip Kelly, because of course you got to include Chip Kelly, Les Miles and Dan Mullen. Gruden, look, I'm, I'm so here, I'm going to, I'm going to break this up into two things. Okay. Gruden, he's the favorite. According to Vegas, there have been reports that he's closer to taking this job than any of the positions he's been linked to in the past. Um, so there, there's a lot of smoke here. I am still skeptical of Gruden for the reasons that you said. Chip Kelly, on the other hand, I was skeptical of until about 10 minutes before we started recording this podcast. When we started seeing flight tracking, Roger, it's flight tracking season. Love flight tracking season. Everyone, they developed this technology so that people can like, <laughs> for the good of the like American transportation system. And we use it for? We use it for coaches. We use it to look at which coaches are fly, which um, school planes are flying to which cities. For the record, they do this in Europe too with soccer players, but I, I like ours better because it's like state owned planes. <laughs> like flying from like Lincoln, Nebraska to Florida. In this case, from Windsor Locks, Connecticut, which, which happens is near to Bristol. be near Bristol, which is where Chip Kelly works for ESPN in Gainesville, Florida, which means this is inevitable, Roger. Chip Kelly is going to Florida. There's no other reason that someone would fly a plane from Connecticut to Florida unless they're, uh, you know, participating in the civil conflict trophy game. No other reason. I, uh, 
I think that that this is closer to happening than I would have believed even even a little bit ago. I mean, so, so I, reports came out over the weekend. <laughs> Pete, Thamel, Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports reported that Florida is, quote, thoroughly vetting Chip Kelly, which, again, I sort of was like, okay, of course they're vetting Chip Kelly because what if Chip Kelly mean? is going to go to... Like, they're being thorough, Roger. This is not just any vetting. This is thorough vetting. So they're, they're looking into Chip Kelly's background. They're looking into his interest. If he's interested in the program, Chip Kelly in the past has sort of said he doesn't want to be in a program that has a bunch of booster sort of glad handing responsibilities. He wants to be able to just focus on co- coaching, not deal with all the bullshit. So an SEC he, school is perfect for him. Yeah, it's, that being said, there's a lot of smoke here. There's a lot of sort of rumors floating around to a level that I'm starting to get suspicious that this one might actually happen. I think Chip Kelly is going to be. By the way, have you seen him on TV? He's really good at analy- at breaking down plays. He's also very good at coaching college football. He's very good at coaching college football. I I just feel like the NFL, everything that happened to him there, he thought he could like sort of run teams the way he wanted to in college, where you know he didn't have. He thought he could have control over the Eagles and Forty ers in a way that you can't control a college team because there are so many other things you have to do. You have to recruit, you have to deal with boosters. There are all those things. He thought he could do that in the NFL. It turned out in both cases, that was not the case. It was not. Uh, So I, I imagine that right now, Chip Kelly is having a fine time not dealing with any of the things that he does not like about the job he's very good at. Okay, we're moving on from college football to college basketball. So on One Shining Podcast, Titus and Tate discuss coaches by playing a round of good guy, bad guy, and bag guy with a G. This clip also features a pretty shockingly good Rick Pitino impression from Tate. Take a listen. This is called Good Guy, Bad Guy, Bad Guy. Bad guy. So I don't know if you heard it. Good guy, bad guy, bag with a G guy. Bad guy. So we're going to do our good guy, which by the way, we should mention this too. We don't do hot seats here. We don't do hot seats. The way you do it is you say the coach is a good guy. Yes. You don't say... Bruce Weber at Illinois when he left. Good guy. guy. We made this point already. For those of you in the preview podcast, you already listened to it. But we, uh, I don't know if you heard, we hit number one, so we got some new fans. Sorry. We're trying to explain it to them. Uh, so our good guy of the week... Steve Prohm, Iowa State. Congrats. First time inaugural good guy. Loses to Missouri, mm-hmm. 74-59. Michael Porter doesn't play. Missouri, is that Two Missouri? Minutes. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Porter, uh, still probably not a great, kind of hoping for, but we, we knew Iowa State was going to have a down year, so that's not that bad. Turns around, loses to Milwaukee, 74-56. Loses by 18 to Milwaukee. Iowa State currently sitting at 0-2. Uh this is coming off a year where they had Deontay Burton in this nice run. I mean, obviously they had the kneeing year. I mean, right? They won the, they won the Big Twelve Conference Tournament last yeah, year. Iowa yeah, Iowa State's been great. Yeah, you know, so you expect so, great things for them. So right now, Steve Prohm is a very good guy. He's a very. We'll just say he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Um, our bad guy. Who's your bad guy of the week? Bruce Pearl, boy, bad guy. Kind of a bad guy. Kind of a bad guy, and it, and it's not it's not for trying. You know, I think he does well. I think he gets out there and says some things. Bruce Pearl. We got Auburn. We got this Chuck Person situation. Mm-hmm. He was one of the original ones in the FBI, FBI situation, FBI indictment. And they have two more guys, uh, the video coordinator and his top assistant, like the guy that basically handles all of his stuff. Like every coach has one guy where you just right. delegate everything to, basically. 
So those two guys are now involved in the investigation. They've been pulled out. Auburn says, all right, we got a problem here, folks. Let's investigate. Bruce Pearl, we need you to be a part of the investigation. We obviously Ooh. need to investigate you. He's like, no, I'm all right. Ooh, I'm okay. Interesting. You, you can't investigate me. You can't have any of my stuff. I don't need you to investigate me. I'm out. So now Auburn's in this predicament of like, well, we're doing, you know, an investigation. He's not going to comply with it. Do we get rid of him? Do we, yeah. Charles Barkley comes out and says, if you get rid of Bruce Pearl, that's going to set us back five years. Yep. Yep. What do you do? If you get, with if a bad you get rid of, guy? what do you do with the bad guy? This is a bad guy. Steve Prohm, good guy. He's a very good guy. Good guy. He's just not winning right now. Yeah. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Bruce Pearl, not so much. That's a bad guy. That's a bad. That's a. And we're also talking about a guy who. <laughs> Ratted on, uh, ratted on Illinois. Yeah. What was that like in 1989? I yeah. think that was what he got he, famous he, for. He's yeah. This is like he's Bruce been Pearl. around the block of bad guys. This is gonna live with Bruce. I mean, this is the Bruce Pearl story. Is like he was a whistleblower on Illinois mm-hmm. and was trying to throw them under the bus, mm-hmm. and then now he has the Aaron Craft Barbecue at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. He has this at Auburn. I mean, this is gonna. It's it's hard not to just laugh at any time Bruce Pearl gets caught up in NCAA stuff based on what happened. And I am sorry to Rick Pitino, who I really wanted to be the first bad guy, but he's like. Too good for that. Yeah, you know? Rick Patino's listening. Like, good. damn, I thought I had it. Like, I thought I had the bad guy of the week. I worship the floor that my players walk on. So, uh, our bad guy. Yes. Bag guy. Bag guy of the week. Say who, it. Who? Who do you think? That, who do? You, who? Because you and I had different opinions. Or did we? Did we settle on the same one? No, we did. Is okay. Bryce Drew a good recruiter? Bryce Drew. Thank you. That's what I thought. Well, I, I, I forgot. I forgot. You. You were trying to. Okay. Sorry. I was trying to pull up, you away. Yeah, yeah, trying to I pull wanna, I'm trying to lock you back. Bryce in. Drew. Landed a five-star recruit, Darius Garland. Yes. I don't follow recruiting. No. I do know this guy because I know this because Indiana was after him. Uh, first five-star recruit. Speaking of bad guys. First five-star recruit in Vanderbilt history, I think. Um, congratulations to Bryce Drew. Dropping the bag. Uh, uh, Homer would be proud. Jake Diebler, John Diebler's brother, is on staff there. By nice. The way. Yeah, so I like might have, It might have been a Diebler dropping the bag. <laughs> congratulations to Jake Diebler. Great, great backdrop on this one. Um, please don't do it for Romeo Langford. The Hoosiers need Romeo Langford. They just got their shit pushed in by uh, Indiana State. And they got another guy, Simi Shitu, who is I'm also— sorry, what? Yeah, Did you just... I didn't just I didn't curse at you. I don't okay. curse. I'm trying to be the Dean Smith of podcasting. But yeah, he's another one that might be a five-star that jumps in there. So you got Langford, you got Garland, you got Shitu. Yeah, so— That's interesting. I don't know. But I will say Garland, there was a report that he went to Homer Drew's camp as a kid, and that's what really drove him. Over the years, don't want to go play for. Bryce. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this one actually makes sense. Garland grew up. Didn't he grow up in like northern Indiana? He, he grew up in, in Indiana, now. Gary, Indiana. I yeah, think. by uh, Valpo. So he's got the whole Valpo thing. And yeah, the, yeah. But still, we're like we're we just like making fun of bad guys. Like, so yeah. bad guys. Dro- dropping the bag. Congratulations to Bryce Drew. Okay, that's it. That's the roundup for this week. I hope you have a great weekend. And remember, you can find the full length versions of all these podcasts and subscribe at theringer.com/podcasts.